My name is Haley, and you're listening to the Beauty From Brokenness podcast. I'm a mom, wife, and blogger. In my life before kids, I was in event planning, dance coaching, small group leading, church going socialite who had it all together. But simultaneously, I was partying, people pleasing, past processing, sad and lonely on the inside. When I became a mom, being home alone with my thoughts, a baby and no schedule just about broke me. But God had other plans. And with his help, I began to take giant steps into becoming a new version of myself that was better than I ever could have imagined. In this podcast, you can expect to hear just about everything from faith to friendship to failure and what I've learned. The goal? To become better versions of ourselves today than we were yesterday. Hi, friend. I hope that you're having a wonderful day and that this finds you just in some glorious spot with your feet up on a desk or with a warm cup of coffee, or maybe you're in a car with screaming kids. I don't know. Wherever it finds you, I'm just so happy to have you here with me. This episode is absolutely bittersweet because, um, you know, as painful of a subject as it is to talk about, both for myself and others, it was so, it's such a pivotal piece of the whole Beauty From Brokenness platform that I just would be remiss not to share. And I've talked to so many women who sadly can relate and to this toxic relationship subject. And some of them are a lot older than I am, and it pains me for many reasons. And one of them is just that I can see that pain in their eyes. I know what they're dealing with because I've been there. But I also know what it feels like to sort of break free. And even if I can help one woman begin to break free from some of these chains I'm about to talk about, it's all worth it. I would like to start with prayer because I think that's just so important. Um, Would you pray with me? God, I feel like you have such a big presence in our lives and you oversee every single thing that happens. Every single thing that happens has to fall through your hands before it reaches us and has much greater purpose than what any one of us could ever fathom. You are the one creator, the one being who understands it all. You know the end game. You know what happens. And I just pray that you would speak through me today, that you would get the women who need to hear these words, to hear them and to receive them in their hearts. And I pray for miracles and healing in all of our relationships, God, because all of us need that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So the other day I was at a coffee shop, this cute, cute little coffee shop in the downtown area of our town, and not like a commercial place, but a privately owned, kind of like a one-room place where you can you, you can't help but hear everyone's conversations around you. It's just the way it goes. So you have to know that when you go in. I'm, and I'm listening to this espresso machine buzz, and I'm listening to the conversation at the counter happening. And then there's this dominating conversation that's happening at the table next to me. And it's this great big round table of women, and they're women of all ages. And you can tell that they're family. You, just, you can just tell by their interactions and their facial expressions. And it looks like maybe there's a grandma and a bunch of daughters, and then their daughters. So kids and everyone has a kid on their lap and not necessarily their own kid, but it doesn't matter because they're yelling over the top of each other and they're tapping their feet and they're laughing and they're talking maybe about a trip that they're going to be taking. Um, But it's just obvious that there's such rich history there. And I, I found myself listening in and thinking, gosh, like they don't sound like they have any problems. And then I told myself, everyone has problems. So that's where I want to start. Everyone has problems. Everyone has problems within their own families. And that is something that I have come to know to be so true. 
Um, but a piece of me was looking at this family, partially because mine isn't that big, but also just that we have, you know, divorce and other things that have gone on. And I had to just realize, and I've had to realize this over and over and over again, that that group, that exact dynamic is never going to be me. It's just, it's not going to happen for me with my family of origin. It's something that I've had to just stop believing in and stop trying to achieve and just let it go. And that sounds really negative, but it's actually been the most freeing part of my journey. And that's what I want to share with you is a little bit about this journey. Um, My first step towards healing from some of this dysfunction that I had growing up was honestly recognizing what it was that I was even up against. So in my home growing up, um, we were always taught to be proper and we knew our manners and we were taught to go to church on Sundays. And, you know, I kind of grew up believing that if I had a clean house and I was put together, then that was half the battle. And it is. I mean, I am super grateful for a lot of those habits, which were instilled in me at a young age. Um, But when families operate so well on the outside, I think it makes it really hard for others to see the problems. I mean, I know it does. And when you're a kid or a teenager, not having other people notice your problems, um, it sends the message that, well, maybe your problems are the same as everyone else's. And you just, you don't have a standard to measure against. And your gauge is so terribly off, but you don't know it because you're not talking to anyone about it. And for me, I mean, I just didn't really know until I had some meaningful, deep friendships later on in life until I got married and got exposed to another family up close and personally, where I started to kind of make these comparisons like, oh, you know, how I was maybe brought up was not um, super common. So I'm going to throw out some words, um, but I don't want to scare anyone off with them. So I'm not going to say them right away because they're big words. And at first glance, these words make me think of loud, intense name calling situations. Like they make me think of someone tearing down someone else's character and bullying. The words are emotional abuse. Um, But emotional abuse, I've come to learn, isn't necessarily that obvious. So a lot of the time, it just looks like someone making big demands of us, um, expecting us to meet their needs above our own, being dissatisfied no matter what, criticizing us, suggesting that our perceptions are wrong, controlling other relationships in our lives or causing us to walk on eggshells. These are just some of the little things that I've picked up from books or from talking to others or from my own experience. And even a few years ago, um, those words are not what I would have used to describe my situation. Uh, But if you have a toxic relationship in your life, or if you've had one, bear with me, even if you're not sure if this is you, because if this is what you're up against, then having a label for it will help you substantially. It's going to give you words for what you went through that others will better be able to relate to. And it will open up a world of resources for you to read and ultimately heal. And you do need to heal. Emotional abuse leaves this terrifying, invisible scar that no one else can see. You know, the the stuff that happens in that scenario isn't obvious. And so neither is the empathy we receive. And just because you can't see the evidence from years of being hurt does not mean that it's not there. Uh, my friend Rebecca is the instructor for a fitness class the other day, and she said something while we were all sweating on the floor. She said, if you still cry about it, it still matters. Okay, so first off, not denying your feelings, not denying that there was hurt, um, and then understanding the definition. So 
the intentional or unintentional goals of an abuser, yes, abuse can be unintentional. And I would actually guess that most of the time it is unintentional. But the goal of an abuser is to gain control by discrediting, to gain control by isolating, or to gain control by silencing, or all of the above. And so I broke that down a little bit further based on, again, the people that I've talked to and the things that I've read. And here are some of the signs. So if you're being expected to put everything else on hold and meet someone else's needs, um, if you're if your time is being demanded, like you need to spend all of your time with this person, uh, if they're dissatisfied, no matter how much you give, if you're criticized for not completing tasks according to their standards. Oh, I was talking to a girlfriend the other day who was telling me that when she loaded her dishwasher wrong, it was a complete meltdown in her household. And and knowing her background, it's it's like from an adult perspective, it's obvious like, oh, well, there is more than meets the eye going on in that household. It's not just about the dishwasher. But as a kid or even a teenager, I'd say like, it is much harder to read between the lines. And you are just observing and taking in this anger that you may not understand the origin of. So that is why that criticism for tasks not completed correctly is on this list. And that doesn't just apply to kids. I mean, I know plenty of adults who are still dealing with criticism from their parents or from a friend or whatever it is. Uh, Maybe it's someone they work with. Um, If this person is expecting you to share their opinions. Okay, so this is the setting where you're not permitted to have your own opinion. Maybe it's an opinion about someone else. Like you are not allowed to like someone else. You're not allowed to have a relationship with someone else because of this other person's opinion. And you're afraid to because of this other person's opinion. Um, If they're demanding that you give exact dates and times for things that upset you, which obviously is super unrealistic, but if they're demanding, tell me when I did that, tell me exactly when, what day, that's a sign. Um, If your feelings are being refused because you're being told how you should feel or that you're, you're too sensitive or that you're crazy, Um, An abuser's favorite line is, you're blowing this out of proportion, which I realize not every person that says that is abusive, but it's just something to think about. If you were told that a lot, it could be a sign. Um, If this person is nitpicking how you look, oh, you guys, if they're nitpicking your clothing or your hair, I have a friend who was labeled Bigfoot. Her feet were bigger than what her mother liked. And so all of her shoes were bought a half size too small. And to this day, she still does that because bearing the pain in in her toes is better than being a Bigfoot. I don't think I need to tell a lot of you this, but if you have daughters, oh, affirm how beautiful they are and affirm how beautiful they are when they're not wearing makeup. I still struggle with not wearing concealer out of the house because of what I believed I looked like without it. And it's a daily battle. But just know that like if someone's nitpicking how you look in any way, that is emotional abuse, especially in your own household if that's happening. If you feel like you're constantly walking on eggshells, constantly feeling guilty, uh, if fear is what's being used to control the situation. So an example of this, um, another person that I know was telling me that it was never in her household like you did something right, therefore you get a prize. It was always, if you don't do this, then here, are this, here is what's going to happen. Or if you do get in trouble for this, then you're not going to prom. 
or you're not going to college. We're not going to pay for college or you're not getting a car or whatever the thing is. That is an example of fear being used to control a situation. Um, if you are being punished because this person is withholding affection. Oh, that's such a big one. I feel like any one of us would rather be yelled at and told exactly what's going on than sitting there trying to read someone who's shut down and not speaking to us and is doing that as a form of punishment. Um, Oh, and when you're a teenage girl, I mean, you carry the weight of emotional trauma like that, like a house on the top of your shoulders. It's just, I think in my experience anyway, everything as a teenage girl is bigger. Like it feels bigger. As adults, we're able to let things roll off and say like, well, she's wrong. Or maybe I I was wrong and I should apologize, but I'm not going to think about it right now because I have other things to do. And I think as a teenager, you just don't have that capacity. So you wear that emotional trauma, like, like I said, like a house on top of your shoulders. Um, if there are jokes made at your expense about what you do, about the activities that you choose to have, again, about what you look like or the friends that you're choosing to have, um, sarcasm is a big sign of emotional trauma at home. If you're being controlled when it comes to who you see or who you spend your time with, um, like an example of this would be if there's criticism of your friends or other family members to the point where you might not want to hang out with them either because you believe what's being said about them or because you're afraid to hang out with them because you don't want to tick this other person off. That's an example of control over who you're spending your time with. Um, if your text messages or your phone calls or your diary are being monitored, um, basically this one is if your privacy is being invaded. That is a sign. Um, I've learned over time, like kids deserve as much respect as adults. Like just because they're kids doesn't mean that we don't owe them respect. And they can sense that. Um, threats and yelling, those are some of more, the more obvious ones. Coursing you to spend all your time together. Okay, so now we've established this definition for emotional abuse. But you might say, okay, well, say I did have a couple of those things going on. Or say I do have a couple of things that you just listed going on in my relationships. Why would I want to think about it? Why do I need a label? Why do I want to put more focus on this? Isn't it going to make me feel worse? <laughs> and my answer is yes and no. Um, you've probably heard this before, but it's so true in this scenario. The only way to get to the other side is to walk through this. And I believe with all my heart that you need to label the things that hurt you so that A, you can heal from them and pray over them specifically and envision yourself going back in time and telling that little girl or telling that teenage girl or telling that young woman who endured all of it, that everything's going to be okay. Like, you need to go back to the exact situation that hurt you and hug yourself in that moment and let yourself know that you weren't alone. You might have felt alone. You might have felt so hurt, but that you weren't alone and that you were loved, that God was there with you. And that brings me to the next step, um, forgiving and making peace with it. You know, once you have a definition for what happened, you've got to forgive and make peace with it. And one of the big things that I really tell others when they're working through some of this is don't try to figure out why it happened because you're going to go crazy trying to figure out why. Don't try to fix it. Don't try to get answers and don't try to get apologies. Um, one of my pastors at my old church, Pastor Bob Merritt, always talked about, I've talked about this before, but it's so helpful. 
there are fools and there are wise people and you're always one of each. So you're either growing and thriving and you want to receive feedback and become a better person or you don't. You don't want to receive feedback. You don't want to thrive. You just want to be as you are and be left alone. And if you're dealing with a fool that doesn't want feedback, you probably won't ever get that apology that you want. Or if you do, it's going to be an empty one, not followed up with action. So don't try to figure out why. Don't try to get an apology, but do talk to a trusted friend or honestly, a counselor is the best. I think is your best bet. Counselor will help you walk through all these things and remember them and then heal from them one at a time. Um, Something else that helps is to consider their past. So consider this other person's past. How did they grow up? What's their relationship like with their parents? What's happened to them in their lives? None of that justifies what's happened to you, but it it can help to have it explained in your head. And a sign that you haven't quite forgiven is when you still feel like you need to tell and convince others of the details. So you're needing a reaction from others. Like you're needing this love and approval from them. And I'm not saying these are bad things. I'm just saying these are, these are signs that your heartache is still alive and active and that it maybe hasn't been put quite to rest. Not that it ever is fully put to rest, but that the forgiveness piece maybe still needs to happen. Because once you really forgive, truly forgive, you will feel and be filled with God's peace. So the next step, set boundaries. Um, one of my favorite books in the world is Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. I highly recommend it to anyone who wants a jumpstart on their relationship with God or is just starting out with their beliefs in Christianity or even is just searching for purpose. It's such a good, such a good book. Um, but he said, you know, forgiveness does need to happen. We're commanded to forgive. But someone needs to have a proven track record of action to re-enter your life. So you can forgive. That doesn't mean you need to spend your time together unless someone has a proven track record. They say, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to be better. And then they prove it over and again, over and over. So if that's something that you've tried and it still isn't working, it's hard, but you have to draw a line in the sand and stick to it. Tell your spouse what it's going to be. Tell someone else like what you're committing to do in order to protect yourself and make things different and stick to it. Don't go back on your word. Um, Maybe it's that you're going to walk out of the room every time the emotional abuse begins or the negativity begins, or you tell that person, I I don't want to talk about this other person anymore. And I'm going to walk away every time it begins to happen. This is your line in the sand. And I think like worst case scenario is that you completely separate. And something that has helped me in the past is knowing that honoring someone doesn't necessarily mean spending time together. It just means doing your own life and doing your own family better. Sometimes that's the best way to honor someone is to just do yours better. Um, So I have talked to women who maybe this individual that hurt them so much is no longer around. And I will say like, that doesn't mean there's any less hurt from what I can see. I would imagine there's more hurt because now there's no opportunity for things to improve or an apology to come. And like I said, again, I don't think apologies help as much as we think that they would, um, even if you do receive them. But what to do in that situation, I think, is the same as what to do in a situation where it's ongoing, and that is to grieve. Everyone needs to grieve and mourn the loss of this relationship. And what we thought it was going to be in our lives. You got to grieve and mourn it as the loss that it is for what you thought it was going to be, for what you want it to be, for what it was supposed to be in your life. 
the next step is, it sounds very cliche, but be grateful. And what I mean by that is it's helped me on my worst day when I don't feel like it, like no part of me wants to sit and thank God. I just want to scream and sit in my pain and cry. And you know what? Do those things. Scream and cry to God. But then look at what he has given you. I mean, even if it's just the food on your table or the car that you're driving in or whatever you're listening to this podcast on, thank him for that and start your list because I'm telling you, gratitude heals. It really does. Even if you don't feel like it, do it. Take the action and just do it. Start thanking him. And I promise you, your heart will begin to change. But you have to intentionally take it from the mire of pain and put it over on the other side into the field of gratitude. Lastly, will the pain ever go away? I'm not sure. I'm really not sure it ever does. I sort of don't think so. All of us have things that are going to prick us with jealousy, you know, whenever we see something that we wanted or that we wish that we had in our lives. Everyone has that. Um, But here's the perk. I really like what the author Paul has to say in the New Testament about whatever thorn he's got in his side. He doesn't say what it is. He just says that he's got this thorn that is driving him crazy in his life. It's poking him in the side. He has asked God repeatedly to remove it, and God doesn't. The perk to having a thorn is that we can use our pain as a catalyst to grow in our relationships with God. I mean, and that is so true. That has held so true in my life. I'm going to say that again. Use your pain as a catalyst to grow in your relationship with God. And what I mean by that is you feel the prick. The thing happens that hurts you will recognize it. And then instead of letting it hurt you more, you give it up to God. You stop right Then and there, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you say, God, here's the pain. It still hurts. I don't want it to, you know, but a really mature person might say something like, if it's there to teach me something, then leave it, you know, and over time, as you heal, um, you'll start to see the benefits of maturity that comes from having thorns. Another perk to dealing with all of this is that your marriage and your family, and your friends will be so much healthier because you're healthier. It's absolutely true. So thanks for listening. I would love to get in touch with any of you. Anyone who has a story or has questions, uh, I would love to talk to you. I'm going to close by reading that couple of verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that Paul um, talked about with this thorn thing. So he said, I was given a thorn in my flesh a messenger of Satan to torment me. Uh, Back to Paul here. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And later in verse 10, Paul says, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Some of the greatest strongest people I know have been through the craziest things. You've heard this before, but let God turn your mess into your message. He wants to make beauty from your brokenness, but you've got to let him. Have a wonderful day. Thanks again for listening. 